I wanted to um, ask and maybe I, I love hearing and learning about the um, aspects and the, 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 the potential growth of deep state AI. Could you maybe talk to um, how deep state has changed at PNG or how deep state is affecting 3D imaging and your world that you live in? Yeah. So, I mean, I can't speak to all of it. I mean, so certainly for, for um, image and image, what I did, you know, my job's going to be replaced by, by, I mean, the classical job of using, you know, there was a lot of people that, that spent their time doing classical, what we call classical image analysis, like trying to extract information from images. Mm-hmm. Um, that is completely been revamped now by, by deep learning. Um, because deep learning can think a lot closer to what people do. I mean, you know, you can look at an image, you can see something in an image easily. You know, you do that captcha stuff. They send you, where's the crosswalks here? I mean, I mean, of course, they're doing deep learning for all that. They're using that. But I mean, it shows that people can quickly do things. Maybe still, I mean, it won't be long before, you know, vis- visual perception is the same between a computer and a person now. Um, and so since a lot of image analysis is based on that, you know, we, we struggled with that of, of how can you identify this object in an image? And now uh, just with deep learning and really it's, it's, yeah. So from that standpoint, from a scientific standpoint, you know, looking for melanoma, all the stuff of, of any, anytime you have an image, I mean, my criteria is if, if you can look at it, if a doctor can look at it and figure something out, if a person can look at it and see it in the image, we're going to figure out how to have a computer do that. We're going to have the computer at the same level, at least as a human brain, I think, with AI. So in, in the sense of perception, not maybe it'd be more difficult to say of ideation. I mean, you know, that you come up with a, like, can a, can a computer actually, though, you know, you see these things now of these computers writing these novels or whatever. I mean, these are pretty daunting in a way. Um, and it makes you realize that maybe in some sense, a lot of what we're saying is original is just kind of a regurgitation and, uh, you know, reshaping of, of other information that looks original, you know. But um, so that that whole field for me is going to I've already embraced it. I do a lot of deep learning um, to replace the ways I, I would have done things before. Um, this uh, images are nice because you can. Um, you could do a thing called augmentation. So you don't need to like training the whole, the whole, the whole downside of, of deep learning is you need to supervise deep learning is that um, you need to have training sets. So you need to give ground truth. I don't know. You guys know a little bit about deep uh, AI. Um, Done a little but bit basically of research and a little bit of listening to podcasts and other uh, specialists talking about the field. But fundamentally you just train, you, you, you train the computer with, um, with ground truth data. So this is the, uh, you know, here's, here's the image and here's the answer. Um, and, and then on top of that, so you could do that. So that, but the problem that takes that, I mean, somebody had to go in the image and actually pick out the thing in that image. So you got to do a lot of labeling of data, which is expensive. Uh, <laughs> but you can also do what's called augmentation where you just then you know, make all, you know, I can add noise into the image and I can note that. And then I get to say, I still get the same answer. I can rotate the object and I can still find it. And so you can do, you can start with a fairly small thing that you actually have to label. And then you can add all this augmentation and it, you know, it's, it's fast. I mean, you can run it in a, a few hours and uh, you don't have to program anymore. That's a nice thing. You know, it's like these guys aren't programmers anymore. They're just, 
don't know what you call them. I mean, they're just, um, they're just setting up the network and setting up the training sets and running them and getting the answers and just people that know, I mean, not many people are out there develop. There's a, there's a very small number of people that are out there developing new neural networks, new, like, you know, things to do segmentation. There's, you know, most people are just finding interesting ways to reapply that data. But I think it's fundamentally for us, it's big because it gives us, a, you know, all this consumer perception we have of stuff and at, at for a consumer goods company, you're trying to understand, you know, is this, people think this is soft or do they think this looks, this looks premium or do they think this, you know, all these squishy things that are hard to come up with any algorithmic way. Um, we're trying to convert that. So like, we're trying to take, understand, like, you know, I think all companies are trying to do that. They're trying to take, how can we, these, these intrinsic things consumers feel, how can we predict that, you know, without having to go off and do a big study? Can we just use a computer to say, here's my product. Um, I'll give you a, you know, we have something to feel it, some feel to look at it. And you tell me our consumer is going to like this product, you know? I mean, that's, wow. that's now what could, we'd like to be able to do, you know? Now, um, could, now I just recently heard about this um, study that was done in 2019 in which uh, this, per, uh, they, they, they had a monkey that they put electrodes in their brain and they, and they put it in front of a computer screen that fed it images. And then they hooked up an AI to that monkey that um, recorded any time a specific neuron uh, fired yeah. in their vertical wow. cortex. And then they kept feeding it images. The AI started to understand what images it would be fed and then eventually just kept firing constantly. All those images that sparked the neuron eventually got to the point where it created an AI generated image of a monkey that that monkey knew. So it literally was able to extract memory from the AI. So what, so what I'm getting to is this, is couldn't you use the AI to your advantage or to the deep learning to then understand on an experimental level, how humans feel. Like if you were to take a study and give it to a bunch of different people and say, uh, we just wanna give you a set of images and they, you could use that AI to see what neurons fire when you give it a specific image. Yeah, actually, I think they are doing that right now. I mean, they're, they're not probably doing it. I mean, of course, the challenge is, you know, you know it's hard to you know, hook people up to electrodes to their brain um, that's true um, i mean a lot of people have done like functional mri where they put people in a scanner actually they wanted to see you know like um and, and functional mri is kind of the same way as like is electrodes where you can see the different how the brain activates certain parts of your brain and they can see in response like if you smell this and what does that change in your brain uh, you know i don't think they figured out quite what the um like even electrodes are very coarse you know you can maybe hook up I don't know, hundred electrodes would be a lot probably to put on, you know, you put them on the right on the surface of your scalp. Um, and, but still that's a, you know, there, you got millions and millions of neurons, you know? So the, the electrical, um, the impulses from all those, I don't know if it can be captured on that. That's kind of a very coarse, um, but I mean, I, I, I agree with your idea that, that you could in theory, as we got these things better, you know, I mean, we have guys, you know, I've gone, you know, I've seen guys, they have some research where they put electrodes on and they remove things with their mind, you know, um, which in itself is pretty remarkable. I think that could get quite advanced. I think, you know, depending on the biggest problem we have, 
I think if we could see all the elect, if we could see all the electrical impulses of all the neurons in your brain, yeah, we could probably figure everything out from there with deep learning in a sense that we could, we could be able to uh, be able to convert that into, with enough training. Like you're saying, you could probably convert that into signals that, that could drive things. So you could have a, a person that's, you know, quadriplegic be able to move things, you know, teach them how to do things again. Um, I think the problem we face right now is more from a, from a hardware standpoint that it's hard to access um, enough information from the brain to, I mean, I don't know about that monkey study. I don't, I didn't really look at that study, but um, in generally, I think we, we, we get kind of vague information right now. I mean, we don't have enough. I think the input is not quite there yet to, uh, but it's, it's something to think about for the future though, for sure. Is that, I mean, it's all, if, if you could monitor all the neurons in your, in your brain, you could, or at least a, a, a lot of them, you might be able to predict motion. You might, might be able to predict thoughts, you know, that could drive, you know, who knows what that could be, you know, and, but you're right there, there, the short answer is they are looking at those ideas that you said. It's just, it hasn't really bared any fruit yet because it's still too coarse. It's still just hard enough just to get, um, because you can just ask the people too what they think. You know, I mean, you got to do something better than, than what just a questionnaire would do for you mm -hmm. of, of, the, of responses, you know? Do you think that, because I've been doing a lot of research on like the power that quantum computing could have, do you think that quantum computing could help make all of these, you know, this AI and deep learning on process on an even more advanced level? Yeah, I mean, I think... I saw, I have to say up front, I really hardly know anything except what your brother tells me about quantum computing. Oh, yeah. um, but I mean, I think this idea of quantum computing could fundamentally change. I mean, the, the, it would, it would again, miniaturize, I think the whole world to um, where now you start, everything becomes, I mean, in theory, like everything could become very small size, you know, that a computer done now could be the size of your fingernail, you know, and could have the power of a supercomputer, you know, because you're not, you know, the digital states, uh, I, and again, uh, I, I don't know. I mean, I, 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 but I mean, if you could find a way to, I think we're, we're, we can, we can go, we, we keep going farther and farther with the digital world, but I mean, quantum, I think allows us kind of an analog state that, can hold a lot of information in a single unit, you know, as opposed to a, what a transistor can do. So I think yeah. that could fundamentally change the size of things. And with, you know, who knows? I mean, I, I think, you know, VR is another thing I'm, I'm very interested in. And do you think uh, it's going to be even more integrated VR? Like it's not even going to feel like, you know, how like Oculus you have to put on yeah. a huge thing. Like, yeah. Because I think Apple is eventually going to come out with like their own version. Remember? Google yeah, they're coming OS? out with one. They yeah. announced wow. uh, next year. But I mean, even their their version. I mean, I think when we get to them, I think when we get um, VR to a point that it's just, at least when it gets to the point where it's like just wearing a pair of glasses, mm -hmm. you know, there's no attachments, there's no, um, and it's as powerful as, and, and, it's, and it's more powerful than it is today. I mean, then augmented reality comes into play more. I mean, we do a lot of stuff with augmented reality. You've done it on your phone and stuff, of course. Mm -hmm. um, 
but it's still on your phone, you know? So it doesn't, it isn't really like reality. It's just like looking through the phone. It looks kind of real. Um, if that could be more, um, I think that would be the, the bigger play would be that you could just, you know, wear a pair of glasses and um, really have kind of what they were trying to do with Google Glass a little bit, but it was such a poor implementation that it really, I mean, if you could have all the information of the world there and you could do both mixed reality and augmented reality and heads up display. And all, so your world just becomes this mixture of what you're seeing and all information. And I think your brain would start accommodating the ability to, to both perceive things in real time and also take in all this information. And I think there'd be a whole new frontier there once they got, but right now I think there's too many barriers. Though I love VR personally. I mean, I use it for my work because I can see 3D. It's nice to see like we're doing 3D. I work, most of my stuff is in looking at high resolution 3D data. So down to the micron level and even something like a, you know, paper towel or whatever we do, you know, bounty. I mean, these things are, they're incredibly texture rich at that level, you know, and people have an interest in it. And it's very hard to look at something in 2D that has that much 3D texture in it. So to be able to hold these in my hand now virtually and turn them around and spread them apart and cut into them. And it's a whole different experience. And I thought, so it's it, even at that level with the clunkiness of it, it's still very, I still feel like it's a big breakthrough at our level, but I mean, I think in the, I think that'll be a big thing in the future. I think cloud computing with combined with that, they're already thinking that they can use cloud computing and 5G. I mean, things all come together and now you have the ability to transmit a tremendous amount of data wirelessly without even a computer. I mean, a computer's in the cloud, you know? I mean, you're just sending, uh, you're just sending images down to your thing in real time, down to your glasses with a little tiny device on the thing. And so all the power, all the computer power is off your device. And so, so there's a lot of technologies coming VR to bear thing. now. I, I truly believe like learning hands-on is one of the best ways of learning and developing your skill set rather than even maybe reading a textbook. Do you think in the future we could see VR being a thing as far as a, a new learning material where you could have hands-on experiences by being in this VR reality? And do you think that could be a way of an education system in the future that could give more hands-on learning and then we can develop the youth at a younger age to truly figure out what areas they may want to develop in the future? Yeah, that's a great, that's a great build. I mean, I think that's exactly what's, that's exactly what I, I think needs to happen to revolutionize how we educate. <laughs> the one great thing we should have got from video games is nobody's ever looked at an instruction book in a video game, you know? Yeah. I mean, they, they learn, kids learn by doing, they don't learn by reading. I mean, so we've never figured out a way we think like adults, I mean, it's almost where it's like too late when adults start doing it, they forget how to, how do kids learn, you know, they just learn by interacting. So if we could harness that, like you're saying through VR and, um, and have them actually interact with the thing. I mean, engineering, the whole field of engineering could, that idea of interacting could, you know, you could, that's just something kids could understand at a very early age. You know, right. we think it's like Star Trek, you know, the kids are learning calculus in grade school. I mean, but all these ideas are not that complicated. I mean, all ideas are simple in a way, once you understand them. I mean, 
And, well, and that's something it, I think like in far as the school and reality and to industries, I feel like there's so many different industries out there and there's so many different human beings that once you come up with the system of how to record someone's life through a VR standpoint, it could be like Netflix. You could have it at the fingertips and pick any movie. You know, it shouldn't, it doesn't seem like it's all that hard except starting initially the implementations to get there. Because like, if you have all these different people and you find an easy way to, you know, start to record these different lifestyles, like let's say in your job, right? Someone could go on the day of life with you and record what your job looks like, understanding the different things. People, kids could just go into different industries and see what is it like to be in this person's shoes, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, and, uh, and you could really, you know, I mean, of course, we're doing this with flight simulators and things. I mean, you know, you can learn to fly a plane without ever having been one. You could learn it in your living room, you know. Right. I mean, um, it's those things make sense. The things that are, you know, medicals the same way. I mean, we're already, you know, you could operate on patients and everything virtually. I mean, what a great advantage that is. Um, and but I mean. How can we change? I mean, if we could, you know, maybe a big thing of the future will be this idea of, of revamping education in a completely different way, not just like online versus, I mean, that's like sure. no different than going to class. I'm talking, you know, what you're talking about is immersive environments to learn, you know, something. And it really takes some creative thinking. I mean, and I really, I'm surprised there isn't more there's a lot of inertia around keeping the educational system the way it is, you know, and there's a lot of unions and people, people, teachers don't want to change your innovation more than anything with that. And I think that needs a huge revamping. Cause I think there's a lot of things like specifically for me growing up through going through high school and that kind of stuff. I just, I wasn't able to understand the material, the way it was being presented to me. And that's why I love just working so much hands on practitioner. Yeah. Figuring out for myself. Cause it was just so much easier. I could, whenever I, whenever I did something wrong, I would figure out, okay, well now I'm in this real life situation. How do I get around it and figure it out for myself? Right. And then you can use people outside of there that can help you kind of, you know, then you can ask your mentors and people outside there to, like, to help you figure out and solve those situations. And I think that's more important rather than this whole guided learning process. So I really think the standardized, like where everyone's going to school every day and you go in to sit in this building, I think that needs to be obsolete. Like I really do. I think, especially with now, how everyone's making everything in their home, right? Everything's so easy and accessible and inside your home, you could be doing these things, you know, with even learning in specific industries across the country, or like when we're saying, and like, do you ever, do you think it would ever be considerable? Like, let's say there's like, cause I looked at Ben Carson, right. And he was in his younger age or younger ages as being a neurosurgeon, he was traveling to different countries in order to do operations and stuff like that. But now, like you're saying, we can do operations with just literally complete robotics. So can there be a doctor in a whole separate company do an operation on a patient in another country just by using a system like do you think there's potential for that much or no do you think we're still very oh definitely that definitely will happen i mean that's one of the easier cases in a sense that i mean because doctors are already doing microsurgery they're already doing stuff that they're not actually doing the surgery you know there there's some like a robot is actually doing the thing so once you do that then to be remote becomes I think that'll be the first wave of stuff. I think for like you're saying, third world countries, they can afford to have the, they can't afford the doctors, but they can afford the equipment to, to, to do that type of thing. And, and, and everything, you know, you wonder like, why do you go to work anymore? It's, it's, I haven't been at work for a year now, you know, and wow. I've been working from home and the technology is pretty good for, 
you know, doing everything you need from home and it's just got to get better. So, I mean, what is the future of, but I worry that these, the, there's going to be something lost in that. I mean, if we get to um, the human, you know, this whatever name of your thing is there, the humanistic experience or whatever. I mean, that could start getting, it start, starts to, to fade a little bit then if we're just, everything's remote, but you know, that, and I, I worry about that with VR too. I mean, suppose VR gets to like the matrix in a sense that, you can actually kind of live a little bit of a world, a real, very realistic world. That's not actually this world, you know, um, it's not far fetched that that could in the future be a, a real issue. Sure. I, I wanted to get maybe your interpretation. Do you think we're at the final frontier of conscious sentient life with human beings, or do you think there's more to the expansive universe we live in? Um, well, if you just look at the probability, you got to think there's, I mean, are you talking about, is this, is this, where are we ever going to discover? Yeah. Um, I don't know. I, I, I struggle with that question because I always think like, you know, it seems impossible the odds that it's, there's not extraterrestrial life, of course, but you also think there would be some, you know, there's no hints of that still uh, out there, you know. Um, I think uh, manned space flights are, I don't know how much fruit they're going to bear, really. I mean, you know, we got to get at least outside our solar system. Um, so, you know, I mean, but I, I, even at the speed of light, which I, I always thought we should focus more on what can we transmit and receive back? And that could, I mean, can we improve that technology? At least we'd be traveling at the speed of light, you know? And then if we saw something, I mean, of course there's warp drive. I mean, all the stuff from Star Trek, but I mean, I, it, it maybe you only get there by my man-made, if I continue to do travel, but um, you know, I'm not a, I don't know. I'm going beyond the speed of light is, seems like a daunting challenge, you know, and that's really what you need to, if we're going to explore, you know, at least hopefully somebody comes to visit us, but um, I believe it's out there. I have to believe it's out there. I just, I don't know what it'll take. I guess all things are possible as far as how far you want to look into the future. Um, You know, maybe even time travel. Yeah. I'm not a very big believer. I mean, I love time. Time travel is my favorite shows to watch on TV, but sometimes I wonder if it's, if it's, uh, if it's possible to, I guess you've heard the theory that, you know, this idea that actually our life in itself is a simulation. Correct. I was going to go there next. That's why I was getting at the sentient life question. Yeah. That's, that's a very compelling, oh, I forget the name of what the, that theory is called. Um, but it's essentially that, uh, you know, that there is no, you know, Einstein was trying to unify uh, quantum mechanics with Newtonian mechanics and never could that. And, and people are starting to think that really, oh, quantum reality, I think it's what it's called. So that the quantum, the quantum level is all that exists and our, our existence and more like the macro existence is uh, uh, kind of a simulation in a sense of that and that the speed of light is actually a sampling phenomena that you can't things can't go fast in the speed of light simply because of in a digitized world 
everything has an upper limit of, of sampling. So you can't um, see something that's, you know, if you have frames of a movie, if something's moving too fast, it can't be observed in those frames. Um, this is called aliasing and signal processing. But uh, people theorize that the speed of light in that sense exists because the speed of light is a very confounding thing, right? It's why does it, Einstein showed that the, the uh, speed of light, um, you know, cannot be exceeded even on objects, the objects that are, you know, I mean, his experiment, of course, was his, his, his analogy was sitting on a beam of light and having a flashlight, shining a flashlight on that beam while you're traveling on the beam of light. That flash, the light coming out of that flashlight should be exceeding the speed of light. But of course, it doesn't. We know that with bodies that are moving toward us and that we, we should see the speed of that body plus the speed of light coming out of that body should result in a, something coming that we can measure that's greater than the speed of light, but it never happens. So there's some upper limit to the speed of light, which to me is always like very fascinating, you know, that there's, mm-hmm. and that's when people think, well, maybe that's just, I don't know. It's a very, when I read that thing, I was like, wow, that really makes you think. I mean, our whole reality is such a, a vast mystery to us, you know, I mean, really? Even like gravity, I mean, nobody really understands gravity. We don't know why gravity exists. It doesn't appear to be a real force like normal forces. I mean, it doesn't exhibit the same properties as a force and that uh, gravity is felt everywhere instantaneously. So if there was a, normally a force would have a delay. So if if something happened far away from us, you know, in another, uh, you know, it's the sun or whatever, it would take time to propagate that change would take time to propagate. We would feel it under normal, normal Newtonian mechanics, but gravity happens for some, whatever reason it happens instantaneously. Um, and they don't really know. That's why Einstein theorized it was a warping of the time space continuum. Um, and it wasn't really like a normal force, but we don't really, I mean, besides Einstein's equations, I mean, we don't really, understand something as basic as that, you know, of gravity of what is it, you know, and people throw out words like multiverse and all these things are like, you know, I mean, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's weird that we exist with so many questions of, of life and death and multi, you know, like our own reality. Is this, is this a simulation? Is this, you know, and, and any theory you go down, it seems like there's always counter arguments the other way. So, you know, that's a great, I don't know. I hope we, I, I, I would love to find, you know, I think that would be so great to, to, to make contact with another, well, hopefully, I mean, Independence Day didn't go well, but I mean. <laughs> uh, <laughs> love that movie. Um, question, question I do have for you though, is like, I feel like throughout my entire life, knowing you, you've always like predicted what are going to be like the next things that are going to dominate like the the world in terms of the economy. Like when Chipotle came out with online ordering, you were the first person to get on that. And you're like, this is going to change the way that people order food. And then when Amazon Prime, like I remember you got that in 2011, you're like, this is going to change the way that online shopping is. What would you say is like right now, something that you're going to see become a big thing in this next decade? Um. Well, certainly, I think 5G um, will change things. What 5G does 5G could... change? What's the difference between that and 4G? Well, I just think the speed that you can transmit is so much higher. The amount of information you, you can send down, um, it allows, um, it allows you know, you to be free. I mean, like, you really don't need 
to have a computer tied to that anymore. You know, you can do everything uh, like all the information you need can be transmitted perhaps by, you know, cloud computing. So it could go right to the device, you know? So when you talk about, and that's what I already talking about there with like VR glasses, like they don't need that big hardware. They can just send the frames down in real time to you and be computing everything remotely. And the transmission rate is so high between your device and the cloud that it can, it can change a lot of things and make it, um, you know, as that speed increases, it, 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 it like it kind of can change the way we, we function, I think, in terms of having devices that are, you know, are more like just putting on a coat or putting on a pair of glasses or something. It's not like we're, we're tied to our computer anymore. Um, and I think artificial intelligence is probably the other biggest thing that's going to change everything as we know it. Um, so in a good way or in a bad way? Well, I guess it remains to be seen, uh, you know, hopefully in a good way. Um, Musk thinks that within five years, it'll be, we will, they will surpass human intelligence. Um, do you think there's enough and, regulations in place for that? Or do you think it's one of those things that we're uh, being reactive and not planning proactively as maybe a country in general, or even as the entire earth or sense like that? Well, I mean, I, I think you got to let AI develop at its own pace. I, regulations I'm not a big fan of because the people doing the regulating don't know what the hell they're doing generally. <laughs> um, yeah. So it's, it's, and then it, 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 it stops. We need to have the best ideas, you know, kind of rise to the surface here. Um, I'm actually more concerned with things like cloning, I guess. I mean, those, that's another future thing. I mean, that they're going to figure out how to clone people. I mean, they've already probably, probably figured it out. I mean, it's probably happening somewhere in China or something. Well, yeah. And even in the U S they've taken people's hands and faces and changed them out and people are right. like, like there's multiple. So, I mean, um, you know, is that it was those those are real moral implications then if you start i mean i mean is it a should we allow a, a, so for you know is anti-aging medicine medicine like is it practical or is or do you do you think maybe that we as humans should come to our death and in a more um uh naturalistic darwinian style where it's like it's our time has come our time has come um right. do you think that anti-aging medicine is like is this a good thing is this a bad thing are humans meant to live past 100 like <laughs> yeah i mean you hate to limit uh human existence i guess i mean i guess i would be more worried if people started trying to limit uh, um that than to try to expand it but we are facing a problem that um you know, you spend most of the resources, the medical resources are spent trying to keep old people alive in the last 10 years of their life. Um, and, and if that just keeps accelerating, I don't know. I mean, it's like we come to the problem again of like, can we afford to keep people alive? Uh, I mean, I suppose we could come up with ways to always keep people going. I mean, if your quality of life, I mean, if your quality of life is high, I'm all for it. You know, I mean, if you're just basically in a chair and you can't get out of it, but they're keeping your heart pumping and, um, and, you know, then that becomes also like more of a moral thing. We have a hard time, uh, I think, dealing, grappling with those questions of, of, you know, of euthanasia and, 
you know, how, how you know, is a person even a, is it should a person have the right to, uh, you know, when we, we still haven't come as a society, it's like, should you have the right to say, okay, I'm, you know, just give me some drugs and I'm gonna, you know, die now, you know, right. Um, but I, I, I'd like to see regulation stay out of it for a while, I guess. I know cloning, I maybe I, I'm different about, I don't know, I don't know exactly where I stand on cloning. Um, I mean, I can see there's a moral issue with somebody cloning your own. I mean, you have the right, do you have the right as a person to have a unique identity or can they make a clone of you? Um, but at the same time, I don't know, you know, there's, there's, uh, I mean, somebody loses their child and they can have make a clone of the exact same child. And, and, you know, there is no identity. There's only one, still one existence of that person. And, that's so interesting to me because I, I can't even quantify the psychological implications as a parent when you've lost your child, but then it's cloned. Like, how does the long-term repercussions of that mentally affect humans? Right. But I mean, because we've never done it, I guess. I mean, but maybe it would just be, um, yeah, I know. And, and we don't know really what the effects of cloning are either. I mean, you know, <laughs> we think it's it's going to be, you get the identical person back, but maybe that's, you know, those are the things I always worry about, even with the virus vaccine. I know Jake has concerns about it. It's like the medical community doesn't, we don't really know what we're doing. You know, I mean, people could say they know, but we don't know. We don't really know. It's like gravity again. I mean, we don't know why life, how we don't know how the human body works quite. If we did, we could solve all the, you know, all the diseases in the world. We just pretty much, you know, they try things, they get a response they, you know, they were looking for something that would kill this virus. And so they developed this protein and this protein kills this virus. And they kind of think about and try to study, well, this protein will do anything else bad to our body. And in the end, they conclude, okay, we, we think this is just a harmless protein that this is going to be generated by this thing. It'll work to kill the coronavirus. And hopefully they're right. I mean, because they're giving it to millions of people, but you know, there's no way from a medical standpoint, you can say, yeah, I, I completely understand everything in the human body. So I know this, I mean, this is how, you know, thalidomide or whatever caused birth defects is like, they didn't realize that for morning sickness was going to cause just a little flip in the, uh, in the, in, in a mutation of the chemistry would cause that, uh, people to have terrible, you know, we, the, the unintended consequences of things are profound in the world, you know, and that's the things we always have to worry about. It's not those things we're trying to control. It's those things we never predicted would happen in the first place. When you start dabbling with things that are with, especially in the medical field, there's, you got to accept that, you know, I mean, this bullshit about follow the science has really been overused. I mean, none of these things are, I mean, science in itself, there's very few things that are exact. Like we know everything, and, you know, it's just a person's opinion that this is safe, you know, and maybe, maybe it's worth it for society to go down. I'm not saying you shouldn't get the vaccine, but I, I just think do the problems believe, that come out are unintended. Sure. Do you believe the um, long-term efficacy of mRNA duplication is there yet? Or do you think this is a technology in which we haven't studied. I'm saying remove the aspect of if it was COVID, if it was anything, and we're just using the process of mRNA to solve it. Do you think that the efficacy is there long term for that style of, of, of affecting and manipulating the body? Well, 
I mean, I think it has tremendous potential, you know, I mean, you could solve, I mean, gene therapy, you know, I mean, you know, maybe you could, I don't know, you could solve every disease in the world with that, you know? So, I mean, it's hard to say, let's not go down that route. Mm -hmm. It's just that there's a risk with it. There's a big risk with it. And, and, and I just don't think, I, I don't know what the moral answer is there. I think we got to pursue these things in some sense because they hold the key to, to um, really great advancements. At the same time, they hold the key to great risks too that might not be seen for generations. You know, mm-hmm. you don't know what the effect of, you know, um, you know, it, 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 you know, it could cause a, something worse than the original plague that they were trying to cure, you know, in general. Um, so, I think we should proceed very cautiously with it, you know, and, but I need, I think that type of research needs to continue because, you know, we're finding out more and more stuff, our genetic defects, are, are there's some gene related to this disease, you know, mm-hmm. and, um, you know, our current therapy of just cutting things out of your body because they're, you know, that, I mean, is we got to do better than that. I mean, gene therapy or, you know, really changing the RNA and, and having that be able to modify a bunch of cells that way, I think is very powerful. And, and it's just, you know, it's just extreme caution has to be used though, I guess. Absolutely. What would you say? Cause I'm just a little bit curious as of like now in the present moment, what do you think currently in the United States, what are maybe some of your concerns or maybe you don't have any concerns with the new administration and some things we should be watching out for. You could see a large change affecting our daily lives. Maybe. Wait, I'm, I'm trying, sorry, I missed the, the end of that statement. Can you say that again? Uh, I was just trying to see like where, where your concerns are, maybe no lack of no concerns with the current, president in the administration that's now just came in office like where are some things that you think we should be uh watching out for or what do you think could largely affect what we see as our day-to-day lives currently right now or is so there- so i think my biggest concern right now um is this idea of uh i guess it goes back to the truth you know i'm a big truth seeker you know, like what is, I believe all things have the truth, you know? Um, and, you know, my favorite quote uh, is from uh, Chernobyl, that HBO series where the guy says um, that, you know, every lie, you know, it, you know, causes a debt to the truth. And eventually that, that debt has to be paid eventually, you know? And I, I think we're moving as a society on, on all fronts, not just, not just the current administration, but everybody is moving away from the truth somewhat and moving to these idea of narratives that, you know, um, uh, take it, you know, from whatever we want to say, uh, police are police brutality or police are racist or, or immigrants are terrible. Or, I mean, you know, I mean, these things are, we're not certain. We're just getting in a camp of an idea and then we're just pushing that forward, you know? So if we think abortion is acceptable, then we don't really want to revisit that moral concept. We just want to just go, you know, we'll just do everything in our power to support that position, you know, and everybody gets in a camp, like it's your football team that you're rooting for and you don't really evaluate your own. And I think people are guilty of that on both sides. Um, I, I, you know, I, I wish we would move to 
everybody should always be in search of the truth. As a society, uh, if we lose that, then bad things are going to happen. And I think we're starting to move that way right now. We're, we're moving away from like, what is, what is the real truth here? Is, is this, is this, you're, you're putting out a narrative that this is true. Is it really, can we, should we test? We, the biggest thing is to test that concept and really see if it's true. Because if you say things like, are the police racist? Okay. Then we need to do an extensive study to understand. I mean, let's, we can kind of, use science to kind of figure out to what extent is that true and how systemic is it in our society, you know, and, and root out the real truths. And then we can pursue changes that would affect it, you know, but the negative part of that is if you don't do that, like if, for example, if the police just had procedures they were doing poorly, that was resulting a lot of people getting killed that shouldn't have been killed. And, and, but you're pursuing it as this was a racist act, then your solution to that problem is gonna be different than if it was a procedural problem that they can change. You know, like they said, doing a chokehold on people is not a great idea, you know, because it's resulting in people accidentally getting killed, you know? And so you can address those things. If that's the underlying cause of a problem, which I you know, strongly search the underlying around, cause, but- one thing I like strongly believe, and I want to see if you agree, because along with this topic, is the problem really isn't the problem; it's the system that is the problem. Is that correct? Like, the, would you say? That? Well, I mean, the right. I think the, I think the the way we're approaching solutions to problems is is very poor right now. I mean, we don't want to search. We want to say our guy gets into power, and and whatever he does is good, and the other guys are bad, and and. And so everything seems to be these camps are forming of people just protecting their ideas and not revisiting it as a society. Like, um, like, you know, something like abortion is a very great, you know, just cause you're like, they, they, it's like, you gotta be either totally against it or like you're totally for it, you know? And these things are very, uh, everything in life is like that. There's some racism in the country, I'm sure, you know, but there's probably a lot of it is not racism, you know? But you'll never, but if you blanket everything with this idea that it's all racism, then you're gonna miss opportunities to really make fundamentally good changes. And I think that's my problem with the administration that is currently in, is I think they're very tied to uh, you know, fixed narratives. And they think, and you know, my other problem, I guess, is I just don't think I've never I'm a believer in 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 the individual and over the 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 the, the elite trying to figure out how to solve problems. I think solve problems are always solved better by the masses um, somehow contributing to that solution over, um, and our democracy is kind of kind of falling apart in that way and that we just have two, we're, we're coming down to like two I- ideas, you know, either the, the, the one camp or the other camp. And the real answer always lies some mixture of all those ideas together of what's good, you know? and. So yeah, I have I have kind of I have concerns about the when you know conservatism appeals to me more because I like the idea of like okay we're gonna let we're gonna be kind of hands off the government's gonna be small and hands off we're gonna rely more on people to kind of govern themselves and it's the best that we can you know we're gonna play more like a referee in a game we're just gonna try to make sure that you guys are gonna play the game but we're just gonna make sure it's fair you know so nobody's getting you know. Uh, not like we're going to run the game and we're going to tell you how to play it. You know, that is, is usually a disaster because 
you know, again, people, it's not, it's not people are evil or good. It's just that um, the, the, the few making decisions for the rest of the people is always kind of a bad philosophy, you know? Really? So that's my concern, I guess, with the current thinking is they want to expand that. I believe they want to make, they believe the government should have a big influence on, on everything. And all their, all their goals are noble in a sense, I'm sure, you know, but I mean, you know, when we went in the sixties for welfare, we're going to give people poor people money. I mean, you know, we thought, I mean, that sounds great, you know, but they didn't really see the unintended consequences again, that you're taking away the incentive for these people to a lot of these people to work. I'm not even saying it was a bad idea. I'm just saying that you got to realize the, the, all these unintended consequences, all these terrible things happen that people, you know, I mean, if you're, if you're giving a, I mean, it's just a moral question. If you're giving a poor person, I'm going to give you money because you need money. You're poor. Then that, but that poor person's like, okay, so I'm going to go get a job now. Well, wait a second. If I get a job, I, I'm not getting hard to make any more money. Right. You know, you you take away that incentive, and I don't know what the answer is. I'm not saying that it's it's like okay, we should just, uh, you know, I mean, what happened in like if you look at like uh, turn of the century, uh, I mean, like 1900s. I'm talking about like in London or something. I mean, they had the philosophy like poor people should just be like you should never help poor people. They should just and and what that resulted in terrible things. I mean, you had these workhouses, and I mean, it was just. I mean, there's somewhere in between that we need to somehow maintain, you know, anything you do, you got to, I mean, these, these blanket ideas are, 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 are usually have a lot of negative consequences with them. And, and uh, so I, I like small government, I guess, in general, because they do the less, least amount of damage to society. So that's kind of my, that's kind of my, my concern. Um, and uh, we'll just have to see. And, I, and I'm a big believer in the Constitution, so I, I, I think that they were really on to something with the Constitution in terms of how it was structured and the idea of, of the weaknesses of man, that, it sh that we shouldn't interfere with that. And I think, the, you know, the more current thinking of the administration is that, that, that we should, we're not, we're not tied to those, those, those principles of the Constitution. We can kind of reinterpret them. Um, and I think, it's, I mean, I, I like, I like, I'd rather go with their interpretation originally than some new interpretation by some politician of what things should be. So, right, sure, truly. Um, before we round out our interview here, we love to ask. Um, I have two final questions, but the first one is from the perspective of someone young or someone who is at home in their bed listening to this, or they're not sure yet what they want to do with their life, but they definitely know that there's something in them that's going to take them further. Um, what would you share with that person? Or if you could go back and tell your younger self one thing, what is that you would like to impart? Well, I mean, so my advice, I guess, on that regards would be that don't, don't try to take too big a leaps in your life to, I mean, don't expect to get to where you want to be. Um, your life's going to be a series of pivots from one thing to another thing, to another thing, to another thing, you know, and if you have the courage to kind of move with those pivots where they're directing you, you know, and keep giving up the things you know, well, and moving into other areas, I think you'll eventually will find your, what you were truly meant to do with your life, you know, but, 
too many people are unsatisfied. At each stage, you want to like glean everything you can from where you are currently, you know, and then move on to the next stage and, and just accept that that next stage is not the end of it. You know, every stage is, or maybe, or maybe you'll hit it, you know, maybe you'll hit it eventually and it'll just take off. But um, if you're not happy, uh, you got to be willing to, you know, you got to be willing to be in the trenches for a long time. You know, I know that people want, they want it to be millionaires overnight and you got to find something that you're very passionate about, you know, mm-hmm. but don't underestimate that that could be something you never dreamed of right now. I mean, you know, don't use your current thinking to think I, the only areas I could ever be passionate is are this X, Y, and Z, you know, I mean, you just never know. I mean, do whatever you do, do it with a lot of passion and, and put your heart into everything you do. And I think in the end, everything will kind of, uh, you know, you'll get to where you want to go. I mean, I just, I worry a little bit that the current generation is, is a little bit impatient to, to get there. You know, they, they kind of want to immediately, if this is not working out for me, I'm a lack of maybe in the process, right. They're not trying to glean all the information they can out of the current process. They're like, this isn't it. So I'm just going to kind of punch the clock on this thing until I, and find something else new I can do, but you should be looking at it. Like Jake was saying, I mean, he's doing something. I don't think Jake dreamed of whatever the job he's currently doing, you know, non-emergency transport, but you learn a lot of things in every job that have nothing to do with that particular thing, but you learn a lot of skills and, and it moves you on to the next thing. You have a new set of skills and a new understanding of, of, of what things that you didn't think would make you happy, make you happy. So that's, that's the thing. I mean, just keep pivoting through your things and keep learning at each stage, everything, clean everything you can at that stage. And I think, you know, everybody will end up with a pretty good, Life. It seems like you guys are on track in that direction anyway. Mm-hmm. We're so, trying, you know, living, trying our best. Living life like flowing water, taking it day by day. Yep. Always got to be learning. That's for sure. I guess the last question would be someone that's maybe, you know, in the range of, you know, 30s or older, 40s, set in their way, maybe, or feels defeated and crushed like life has already happened and there's nothing else. Like, how, what would you say for someone that's maybe not younger and looking to aspire towards the future, but has felt almost as if they're stuck or lost? Yeah. It'd, so, it'd be like if you were talking to the other Tom, if you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so yeah, I mean, everybody, you know, that's one thing you said what I have maybe a problem with the current administration is I don't like victim status. You know, I don't like feeling like I'm a victim of, I'm a victim of my society. I'm a victim of my circumstances. Even if you are a victim of your circumstances, I mean, you should always feel like, um, it's, you know, you're not being held back. So, I mean, I think that that's the key is, is to, at any age, I mean, never accept victim status, never say, you know, I've been, been crapped on my whole life. I'm not going to get what I, I mean. You got to say, Hey, I, I can do whatever I want to do. You know, it's amazing what a difference in just a person's attitude is towards their outcome, you know? So I mean, I had to make substantial changes when I turned 50 in my life, you know, I mean, I started a whole new life essentially. Um, and you know, life, you know, it just goes on and you can, you should just don't give up on, I would tell people like, you're never, it's never too old to make a change. You know, mm-hmm. you're not happy with your relationship. People make excuses for not changing. hundred percent. You know, if you really want to do it and, and you guys introduce yourself, I don't know if I heard everybody on the call, 
He's no, always my son. I didn't, but I'm Ethan. I'm okay. Jake works with me, which is awesome. So I know I haven't got to formally meet okay. you yet, but it's been uh, an honor and I've heard lots of great things. So I can't wait to meet you in person. But uh, yeah. And then I'm okay, Chad Castillo. We, we, we've met. Yeah, yeah, so you've met. Yeah, been fantastic. And truly just hearing your perspective, um, the humble, interpretive, and open-minded person that you are is is really come through i think in this interview and i just really thank you so much for your time oh great well it's been great that's, that's a kind of cool thing i didn't know i really i mean it's my first time i've ever done something like this so.